Um, today, I'm going to go back to being a Russian pastor. Because um, my last Sunday, you know, I can do what I want, you know. Uh, you can't fire me. Um, no, I, I, I'm kidding. But, but what I do want to talk about today is an important topic um, and I just want to share my heart with you. Um, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. Uh, sorry, 22 actually. Um, and uh, we're going to look at this, this, last, um, this last address of Jesus to one of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. It's the church in Laodicea. And when I was praying about this opportunity to preach my last message at Ride Baptist Church as one of the pastors here, I was thinking, what do I want to say that will echo in your ears? What do I want to say that will stay with you? What do I want to say that will act as some kind of, some kind of guide as you move into the future as an individual believer in Jesus and also as a church? And I want to say that intimacy with Jesus is the most important thing in the world. I want to say that very clearly. Intimacy with Jesus is the most important thing in the world. But intimacy with Jesus isn't just the kind parts of Jesus in the Gospels. I love to preach, and you remember last time I preached, I shared about the woman caught in adultery, and Jesus saying, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Those kind moments where we see this incredible love of Jesus. Wow, how wonderful that is when we see that in the Gospels. But intimacy, a true relationship with Jesus Christ, is not just the bits of Jesus that you like. It's not just the bits of Jesus that make you feel good. It's also everything else. A true relationship with Jesus Christ means a true relationship with all of Jesus. Everything that Jesus is. Everything that Jesus says. And when we want to ask ourselves, what is Jesus saying to the churches today? We can't just go and choose all the nice parts of the Gospels that make us feel good. We also need to choose everything, read everything. And specifically, I believe that the, the, letters, the letters of Jesus to the churches in Revelation act in a specific way to answer this question. Because this is the time when Jesus is speaking from heaven to his church. Jesus is speaking from heaven to his church. When we read the Gospels, Jesus is speaking from earth to Jews. And, and everything he says is absolutely important for us. But it's a little bit different to the context that we're in. We're not Jews in first century Palestine. Jesus is speaking to Jews from the earth in the Gospels. In the, in the epistles, the apostles are writing to the churches. Again, slightly different context. But then when we open up the book of Revelation, the first couple of chapters, what we have is actually Jesus speaking from heaven to his church. And so it's actually the context that is most clear for us in terms of what would Jesus say to his church today? Answering that question for us. What would Jesus say from heaven to his church today? And again, I want to say the most important thing is intimacy with him, and I'll show that in the text. But let me read it out to start with. This is Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 to 22. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, witness the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, Sorry, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. 
You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes, so you can see. Those whom I love are rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I want to go through this passage with you, friends. And I, I want to... I know it sounds like a harsh passage. I want to just highlight, this isn't a specific message for Ride Baptist Church. I'm not saying you guys are lukewarm compared to other churches. I'm saying that the church in Australia needs to hear a message about the, the importance of intimacy with Jesus and the great risk of being a lukewarm Christian. So let's go through the passage together. Verse 14, Jesus says, These are the words of the Amen. He's describing himself. He's saying, I am the Amen. Now, Amen in Hebrew means faithful, it means true. And so then Jesus translates that for his Greek readers. He says, what I mean by that is I am the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I've got a friend who's really into conspiracy theories. You probably have some friends like that as well. Maybe you are my friends who are into conspiracy theories. I don't know. And uh, my friend who's into conspiracy theories, he says these things to me. He says, oh, you can't trust the UN. You can't trust the UN. And uh, how I know is there are these great YouTubers, YouTubers that I'm following, and I watch their YouTube videos, and I learn all about how I can't trust the UN. And well, what I say to him is, I, I say, look, I, I'm a little bit more skeptical even than you are, because I don't trust the UN, and I don't trust the YouTubers. You know, so that's why I'm not a big conspiracy theorist. It's because I don't trust the people that you trust when you're believing your conspiracy theories. So who do I trust? Who is there that we can actually listen to and hear what they have to say? And I, look, I do trust the UN about lots of things. So I don't think, you know, here's this crackpot. He's going to be wearing an alfoil hat. Um, no, I, I, what I'm, I'm using this as an illustration to say, who can we trust in the world? Who can we trust? Jesus says, I am the true and faithful witness. I'm the one who is telling you things that are true. I'm the only one, ultimately, whom you can trust. And the reason he is, is because he says, I'm the ruler of God's creation. The Greek word there means the beginning, the originator. Jesus was there from the beginning. Through him, through him all things were made. For him, all things were made. He's there from the start. He's the Alpha and the Omega. And because he's there from the beginning and because he's the ruler over all things, he's the one we actually can trust, right? So, so we can't really trust anyone else, but we can trust Jesus. And so we, go, we, we think, okay, well, Jesus, what do you want to say to us? What do you want to say to your church? Verse 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. We were on a walk yesterday with our family, um, and I was wearing this, uh, this hydration pack. 
We're just walking in the bush a little bit. I think it's gotten caught on me. Um, Oh, it's gotten really cool. I won't put it on. <laughs> I was wearing this hydration pack, and I'd filled it up with water because I thought we were on a bushwalk as a family. And so I said um, to the kids, I said, hey, look, if you want some water, you just let me know, and I'll just let you drink from this little, little straw here. And so uh, I, what I noticed, though, is that um, the first sip from the straw every time was a little bit warmer, and that was because the water that's in this tube here was getting a little bit of sunlight. And so the first sip was warm, and then after that first sip, you'd get some cold water. And I noticed that, but I didn't think much of it. Anyway, we'd been walking for a, a couple of hundred meters, and then Ariella says, oh, Dad, give me a sip, I need some water. And so I gave her a sip of water, and this is just yesterday, and she, she drank it, and then she went, oh, Dad, that water's gross. And I said, why? And she goes, it's warm. It's warm. That water's gross. It's warm. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I should have had the first sip and given you the next one because it's a bit colder when it comes from inside there. You need to kind of flush it a little bit. I remember when I was a, ki when I was a kid, uh, we went on a school camp over to Burke. And we were out in the country, out the back of Burke, literally, out the back of Burke. And I remember there were some taps sometimes because there was plumbing all the way out there, wherever we were. There were taps out outside. And I remember the, the leaders at this sort of strange campsite place saying to us, hey, when you turn the tap on because you need a drink of water, let it run for a minute. And I just remember as a kid, this is why I remember it so well, I remember being shocked. How can I let a tap run for a minute and just all the water go out into the, onto the ground for a minute? That's a long time. Like, you're like, Psh, and then you literally wait a whole minute. And they said, oh, it's because the, the pipes are so long and uh, they, they, you know, the water isn't safe to drink, the first water that you get. You need to flush it out before you can actually drink clean water, pure water. They had that problem in Laodicea. It was a city that was built on a trade route, but it wasn't built because of the location being a good location for a city. It was a good location for trade. It wasn't a good location in terms of water. And every city needs water. And so Laodicea was built, and what they then did is they, they built some aqueducts from a, another city that was 10 kilometers to the south. And that city had hot springs. Now, hot springs were seen as a place where you could go and get healing. Hot springs, you'd, you'd sit in the hot springs, same as today, and it would actually bring some healing to your body. Um, but what, that, what would happen is this hot water would go in the aqueduct and it would travel for 10 kilometers. And of course, by the time it got to the city of Laodicea, it was not hot anymore, it was warm. And nobody liked drinking warm water. It was, it, warm water is, is, lukewarm water is comfortable to touch, right? When you touch it, it doesn't shock your body at all. It's comfortable but it's dangerous to drink because it can make you sick. Nearby in Colossae, where the book of Colossians was written to, there was cold water. There were snow-fed streams, and you could go there if you wanted to drink cold water. And so what Jesus is saying here is he's saying to the Laodiceans, he's saying just like the, the situation that your city is in, where the only source of water for your city is lukewarm, it's not healing like hot water, it's not refreshing like cold water, it's comfortable and dangerously sick. That's the water that you're getting. In the same way, that is your spiritual state. That is your spiritual state. And he's saying, I know that. He's saying, I know your deeds. You are lukewarm. And what I think when we read this, we have to realize is that the Lord Jesus knows something about us that we don't know. The Lord Jesus knows our spiritual state. The Lord Jesus knows what's going on inside of us. He knows what we're up to. 
He knows what we're thinking about. He knows what's distracting us. He knows what's occupying our attention, what's occupying our minds. And what we need to realize is that the Lord Jesus' assessment of our spiritual state might be very different to our own self-assessment. I know your deeds, he says. You don't, but I do. You are neither hot nor cold, and I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Actually, the, the Greek word there is vomit. To spit and to vomit are very different things. To spit is you put a little bit in your mouth and you go, ooh, that's gross, and you spit it out. To vomit is you actually drink it into your stomach and then, no, this is bad, and then you vomit it out. And Jesus is saying to his church, because you are neither hot nor cold, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. So what is lukewarm Christianity? What is lukewarm Christianity? Lukewarm Christianity is comfortable Christianity. That's what lukewarm water is. You touch it, it's very comfortable to touch but it's dangerous. Lukewarm water is water that's been left for a long time. If you get a cold cup of water out of the fridge and you leave it on the bench, what's going to happen to that water in about an hour? It's going to be room temperature. If you get a hot cup of tea and you pour it and you leave it on the bench, what's going to happen to that cup of tea in about an hour? It's going to be lukewarm. It's going to be room temperature. So lukewarm Christianity is Christianity that doesn't have any outside impulse. It doesn't have anything else stimulating it and making it either cold or hot. And here it's important to understand the illustration. Cold is not bad and hot good. It's just you need to be either cold or hot. That's the illustration that Jesus is using. Cold is refreshing, hot is healing, but lukewarm is good for nothing. So how do we get out of this, this tragedy of lukewarm Christianity? I remember when, I, when we first lived in Russia in 2007, we lived there for a year. And I'm sure many of you have felt this who have moved to Australia, because many of you have an immigration journey to Australia, and you were Christians in your, in your previous country. But what we found was uh, when, we, when we lived in Russia, we got used to Russian Christianity, and like many other forms of Christianity around the world, Christians were quite active in their faith, passionate about their faith. It was the defining thing about their identity. I'm a Christian. Most, most Christians in Russia don't drink any alcohol. It was very clear. No, I don't drink alcohol. I'm a Christian. They go to church. They go to prayer meetings. They do evangelism. They were passionate about their faith. And I remember coming back to Australia at the end of this year, year in 2007, and I remember sitting in my mum's my house and just noticing like a number of things. This is called reverse culture shock. And I just remember noticing how big the houses were where we lived. Oh my gosh, why do you need all this room? Why on earth do you need all this room? I remember how quiet the streets were. I remember how safe everything felt. And then I remember going to church and noticing how disinterested everybody was from spiritual things. And it was then that I realized that the devil has a strategy in Australia that seems different from his strategy in Russia or in many other countries around the world. Where life is difficult, Christians seem passionate about their faith. And, and the devil's strategy might be something else. You know, get them too fearful. Get them to, get them, you know, put some violence in their life or, or alcoholism or drugs. Or so, I don't know what the, well, the, the strategy in Russia seemed different to the strategy in Australia. In Australia, it was pretty clear the strategy of the devil is just to lull everybody to spiritual sleep. Jesus says this in verse 17, you say I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, I do not need a thing. So obviously wealth is an issue here. Especially in a wealthy church, Wealthy Christians, 
when you have wealth, or at least you're on that, that career path where everything's clear. I'm going to pay off my house in a in certain amount of years. I know exactly where I'm going. I know exactly what I'm doing. I don't have financial anxiety. In that situation, you, think, you, you gradually start to think, I don't need a thing. And Jesus is saying, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. The difference between the physical situation of the church in Laodicea, wealthy, stable, comfortable, and the spiritual situation, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And friend, again, don't think, oh no, this isn't the Jesus that I like a relationship with. I like the kind Jesus. You you, you have to sign up for all of it, right? You have to sign up for all of it. Every part of Jesus, that's, that's what a relationship with Jesus is like. Every aspect of his character. Because you're not going to understand the kind part if you don't embrace the rebuke as well. So Jesus says these powerful words, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. White clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Three things that Jesus says is a remedy to this spiritual situation of lukewarm Christianity. Three things. Gold refined in the fire. Somehow we can go to Jesus and buy from him gold. Spiritual wealth that's refined in the fire. Spiritual wealth refined in the fire. Refining in the Bible is always talking about a trial. As we experience trials with the Lord, our faith is refined. As we experience the Lord in the midst of difficulty, our faith is refined and we end up with a wealth, a spiritual wealth. Do you want a spiritual wealth? Do you want inner wealth? Something that that is so much better, that eclipses external wealth. You look at your life and you don't say, wow, I'm happy because I have this and this and this. But you look at your life and you say, I'm satisfied. I'm happy in the Lord. I'm joyful because I have this and this and this. He's done something in me and I have a spiritual wealth thanks to my relationship with the Lord. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. And then he says, white clothes to wear. In Laodicea, I mentioned already, they were a rich church, a rich city. They were also a city that was involved in a lot of the textile industry. And what they specifically did is they had black sheep in the city of Laodicea. They developed a strain of sheep that was just all black, black wool, and they had a black wool and black clothing industry. And it was quite lucrative for the city. And Jesus is saying, he's highlighting that, and he's saying, hey, I'm counseling you to buy from me white clothes to cover your nakedness. White clothing in the book of Revelation means righteousness. It means a righteous life. And the interesting thing here here is Jesus is saying to the church, you're not already wearing white clothes. So often what we say to people is that God doesn't see your sin. He just looks at you through Jesus and you're already dressed in white. How wonderful. La-di-da, di-da. Here Jesus is saying, you're not wearing the white clothes. You're not dressed in righteousness. I counsel you to buy from me white clothes to cover your nakedness and your shame. I remember one time using a a pay washing machine. It was in Europe. I put in a couple of euros into this washing machine. And then you needed to quite quickly select what kind of wash that you want this washing machine to do. And the clothes needed to be already in the machine. 
But I didn't know that. I just see the money. I see the buttons. I see the door. And so I put the money in before the clothes are in, and then I didn't press the button quick enough, and then all of a sudden I'd lost like three euros. And I, then I, that's when I realized, okay, now I need to put the clothes in first, then the put. So I had to put in some more euros to wash my clothes. And I was frustrated. I was frustrated because I'd already paid for clean clothes, but I didn't get the clean clothes. And I think that's the attitude of our Lord here. He's saying, I've already paid for you to be dressed in white. He paid on the cross. He paid with his death. He, he washed us with his blood. And yet we're not walking in the righteousness of the Lord. That is the problem for the Australian church. That Jesus has paid it all on the cross and we're not walking in it. Not like we could be. Sometimes I think that we, we think that this, this emphasis on, on righteousness and obedience is somehow uh, distinct from an emphasis on grace. That, hey, 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 no, just, let's just preach grace. Let's not call people to obedience. Let's just preach grace. Of course, that is a false dichotomy because grace is what washes us clean. The grace of Jesus on the cross, his death for us, is what offers us these white garments, this righteousness that we can walk in. And if you're not walking in righteousness, you have no grace. You haven't accepted the grace of the Lord. If your life hasn't been transformed. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. White clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Laodicea also had a medical industry and they specifically made a specific kind of salve that helped with blindness. And so Jesus is using that here as well, using their context and saying, I have the true salve. If you want to see spiritually, which means if you want to understand what's actually going on in your life, you actually see what's real around you, then you need to come to me to buy the salve to put on your eyes. Again, verse 19, those whom I love are rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Be earnest means stir up your emotions about this. That's what I'm trying to do for you this morning. He's saying, it's out of love that I'm telling you this. I want you to walk with me in white. I want you to live a righteous life. I want you to experience spiritual riches. I want you to know me. I want you to know what I offer you on the cross. I want you to know the gospel. I want you to know true Christianity. And because I love you so much to tell you about this, that's why I'm bringing you this rebuke and discipline. It's like a father disciplining a child or a mother disciplining a child. We don't just say, oh yeah, of course, go and do whatever you'd like. We say, oh no, don't do that. That'll be bad for you. It's the same here. Jesus is saying, because I love you, I'm telling you what you need to do. So be earnest. Stir up your emotions and repent. Turn around. Stop doing what you're doing. Change your approach. Live a different life. There's an option for you to choose your path. And so where do we go from here? Well, one thing I haven't told you is how. I haven't told you how. How do we come and buy that gold refined in the fire? How do we buy from him 
the white clothes? How do we buy the salve for our eyes? How do we stop being lukewarm Christians? What's the method? What's the means? What is it that we need to do to experience all that Jesus is offering us and commanding us? Well, he says it very clearly in verse 20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus is saying that intimacy with him is the means by which you gain all of these things. That's why he said, come and buy from me gold refined in the fire, from me the white clothes, from me the south. We need to go to him and as we experience intimacy with Jesus, we no longer are lukewarm water because there's an external impulse on our faith. As we're intimate with Jesus, as we experience time with the Lord, then all of these things start to fall into place. And I believe that's why the greatest issue facing us today is distraction from intimate time with the Lord. The greatest issue facing us today, we're just being distracted so much. I know, you know, I have this urge to check social media so often. And then we get home from work and you just want to put on Netflix. And I'm not saying social media is bad or Netflix is bad. It probably is, but that's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is that there's this constant distraction that we're living in. And the Lord is saying to each one of us, come and spend some time with me. I put up this, this picture, you may have seen it before. This is a, a painting by William Holman Hunt in 1854. Just the next slide. It's hard to see it there. Uh, it's called The Light of the World. And it's the iconic picture of Jesus standing at the door and knocking. Uh, you can see, I don't know if you can, but there's, there's weeds that have grown up around the door. The idea is that the door's been shut for a very long time. But Jesus is standing there and he's knocking. And he's saying, would you open the door? Would you hear my voice and open the door? And I'll come in and I'll, I'll dine with you. That means I'll have intimate fellowship with you. We'll spend some time together. Uh, William Holman Hunt made a particular point of saying that there's no uh, door handle on the outside of the door. Because the door can only be opened from the inside. Jesus is a gentleman. He's standing and he's knocking. He's knocking at the door of the Australian church. He's knocking at your door. He's knocking at my door. And he's saying, would you value intimacy with me above all these other things? Like he said to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? More than these other things, these other activities, these other hobbies? Would you value intimacy with me above all things? If so, friends, that's when we gain everything that we need from the Christian life, spending time with the risen Lord. And I'll, I'll close with these, the, the, the verse uh, after that where he gives us the reward. To the one who is victorious, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Uh, what the Lord is saying there is that the reward for intimacy with Jesus is intimacy with Jesus. Right? Stand at the door and knock, open the door, let me in, we'll eat together. And if you do that, if you're victorious, it actually requires victory 
to be able to open the door because it's sometimes quite a hard thing to prioritize time with the Lord, prioritize our relationship with Him, prioritize intimacy with Him. If we do that, we open the door and we say, okay, Lord, I'm going I'm to give you all my time. I'm going to focus my attention on you. He's saying, if you do that, the reward will be you will sit with me on my throne. You'll sit with me on my throne. The reward for intimacy with Jesus is intimacy with Jesus. And if we go back and remember this image of the Lord vomiting us out of his mouth, we realize that the punishment for a lack of intimacy with Jesus is being vomited out. It's no more intimacy with Jesus. So if you want the reward of a, of a closeness with him, pursue closeness with him. That's all I want to say. Um, I want to say again, this isn't a rebuke to ride Baptist. <laughs> I meant what I said at the start. This church has been such a blessing to me. Such a blessing to me. But this is a word to the Australian church. Intimacy with Jesus is more important than anything else. The Lord deserves his people. He deserves our time. He paid for us to walk with him in white. He deserves that we would walk with him in white, that we would use the clothing that he's given us. And so we need to focus our attention on hearing his voice and opening the door. Why don't I pray? Lord Jesus, we come to you and, and I know I want to repent of times when I've felt you knocking and I've thought it would be easier to roll over and sleep. And Lord Jesus, we, on behalf of the Australian church, want to repent for a lack of intimacy with you, for a lukewarmness in our faith. Lord Jesus, we repent. We, we are earnest. We're zealous. We, we stir up our emotions. And we say, Lord, we want that intimacy with you that you describe in Scripture. Where your sheep know your voice. Where we go where the Spirit leads us where we experience a connection with you as we gather together as your holy temple, that you're present among us. Lord, we don't want to live a distracted life and come to the end and realize that we wasted it all. We receive your rebuke this morning, Lord, knowing that it is in love. Father, I pray that you would give each one of us ideas for how to live this next year differently so that we can make more time to be alone with you. In Jesus' name, amen.